Hi, everyone, and welcome to the special simulcast of the Neil Haley Show and the Love Is Podcast. I'm excited to welcome the host of the Love Is Podcast, Kim Sorrell. Kim, how are you? And I know you're excited about your guest, and I guess you are familiar with him as well. <laughs> I am. I have met Eric before. I am excited about our guest, Eric Metaxas, one of my favorite authors of all time, number one New York Times bestseller, written some of my favorite stuff, Bonhoeffer, a great book, but all your books are great, Eric. And Veggie Tales, gotta love Veggie Tales. And you've written over 30 children's books. You have done so much and you're broadcasting and you've done so much. And now you've got this new project coming out. Eric, welcome to the show. It is so great to see you again. Well, thanks for having me. Thanks for being familiar with my oeuvre, to use the pretentious French word. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I've been... Uh, I've been writing for years and years, so I've, I've written a lot of books, uh, and some people are familiar with some of them. Uh, I've written a lot of children's books. I've done radio. I do this thing called Socrates in the City, so I'm a little bit all over the map, um, you know, a little bit like you guys, so it's kind of fun to talk to you. Well, I definitely am amazed by that bio. Kim is always fantastic of introducing guests, and I'm like, wow, you do your research, Kim. I'm impressed. Go ahead with your first question uh, for Eric. Yeah, well, Eric, this new project that you have, to me, feels different. Letter to the American Church. Yeah. Uh, in other things that you've done, it seems like the audience is pretty broad, where this, you're targeting the American Church. Does it uh, seem that, like that, that to you? That's, no, no, that's exactly correct. And that's, that's what I say uh, often, that I've never written a book like this. I mean, most of my books are written for everybody. I'm trying to reach everybody. This book I wrote specifically to anybody who would dare uh, call himself or herself a Christian. If you call yourself a Christian, I wrote this book to speak to you because um, some people are familiar with my, my big bestseller about Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer was a German pastor who got involved in the plot to kill Hitler. Uh, he was alive at a time when evil was rising in the form of the Nazis. And his message as a pastor to the church in the early 30s, as the Nazis were rising, was it is your job, church, to stand against this evil. It is your job, Christians, to speak up for the Jews. It is your job. It's not somebody else's job. It's your job. And if you dare call yourself a Christian, uh, you claim to believe that Jesus defeated death on the cross. You need to live that faith out or you don't really believe it. Right. Because, you know, a lot of people, they say they believe it or they I guess I'm a Christian. I'm not a I'm not a Buddhist. I'm not an atheist. I guess I'm a Christian. Well, Bonhoeffer was saying to the church, evil is rising. And if you're serious about your faith, you need to be part of standing against the evil of the Nazis. And so that story that I that I wrote in my book on Bonhoeffer, um, which incidentally, that, that there's going to be a film on Bonhoeffer in November, an amazing film. I cannot wait till it comes out. But it's a compelling story. Um, because he was trying to wake up the church and we know that he failed. We know that the German church said, you know, we're going to pretty much take a pass. Some didn't. I mean, there was a, a, a number of heroic pastors and Christians who were absolutely all in, but there weren't enough of them. Most of them said, you know what? We don't do politics. That's uh, we just do faith. We just do religion. We just do church. And Bonhoeffer was trying to say, well, then what kind of faith do you have? Your faith is supposed to lead you to action. It's supposed to lead you to stand against evil. Um, you know, I wrote a book about William Wilberforce called Amazing Grace. He stood against the slave trade because of his Christian faith. He said, I'm obliged as a politician in parliament 200 years ago to stand against the slave trade. This is wicked. This is immoral. We need to stand against it. So 
I, I just have to say that where we are now in the American church, where you have a lot of people going to churches that kind of act like, well, you know what? We don't get involved in that. We just want to do right. church. That's wrong. I want to say that's immoral and it is unbiblical. And so the reason I wrote a letter to the American church, specifically to the American church, is that you need to know what you believe. You need to know what does the Bible say about how you're supposed to live out your faith? Is it just something in your head that you say, well, I believe you don't believe anything if you're not living it out. And this is a time with evil rising around us. I mean, there's madness. Most Americans are looking around thinking, what is happening? I mean, no matter where you look, you're seeing something going on. You're saying, this, not, none of this makes sense. I mean, this transgender madness being pushed on children. Uh, you know, wherever you look, you're seeing stuff that it's just horrifying. And my argument in Letter to the American Church and in the film, which is which is coming out, Letter to the American Church, uh, the documentary film, which will be out in a week or so, is is exactly the same as Bonhoeffer's message to the church. Church, it is your job to speak against this. It is your job to use your voice to live out your faith. And if you're not doing that, you're guilty. And who could say, looking back on the German time, the time, the, the the German church of, of the Nazis time. Who could say that they're not guilty? I mean, if you were just saying, we're, we're just doing church, we don't want to get involved in that. Yeah. Imagine being a Jew at that time, thinking, I wish those Christians who claim to believe X, Y, and Z, that they would actually live out their faith. That would be really nice right now if they would actually act on their faith. But right. many were fooled into silence, into inaction. And that is exactly what I see happening in the American church, not the whole church, but a lot of churches, a lot of people listening to this, maybe they go to one of those churches. And I would say, to you, um, the evil, we're going to be held responsible for this evil that is rising around us. It is our job to speak against it, to act against it, to vote against it, to to do whatever we can. Um, and uh, it's not it's not a small thing. It's like there are people that are suffering because of this madness and it's going to get worse. And it's the it's the church's job to speak up. All right, Eric. So listening to what you're saying, are you because of such a division being this one that's finally speaking out to this level? Uh, thinking like you're Bonhoeffer in a way with so, how we're so divided as a country coming out with this message. I, I can really never compare myself to Bonhoeffer for many reasons. I mean, he was a theological genius. He was amazing. He was killed by the Nazis in, in, in 1939. But on some level, we're all supposed to be Bonhoeffer. I mean, anybody who says, you know, I'm a Christian, but I'm not like those Christians. I'm thinking like, well, then what what that that's extra credit, like actually believing all that stuff, that's extra, it's not extra credit. Either you believe it or you don't. And there are people right now dying for their faith, being tortured for their faith. Try, try to live out your Christian faith in China. Um, there are people all around the world suffering for their faith. Uh, people in Africa being enslaved by radical Muslims, uh, being killed by radical Muslims for their Christian faith. If you're a Christian, you're supposed to live out your faith. And Bonhoeffer gives us that picture of somebody at a time who lived out his faith when most in the church said, nah, not so much, not for me. I'm just going to hang back here. God will judge you. You know, the God that you claim to believe in will judge you for doing nothing when a few people are stepping up, risking their lives, risking their jobs, risking uh, their reputations. Um, we're, we're dealing with that right now. And so I, I just, I hold up Bonhoeffer as a model. And frankly, my book, Letter to the American Church, it's his voice. It's not my voice. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm basically taking what he said to the German church of his day and saying it to the American church today, that just as they missed it, we have been missing it now. And, you know, some people are waking up. Uh, I believe many people are waking up, but will enough wake up 
to do something against it? Or will we be guilty of inaction and silence in exactly the way that the German church was guilty of inaction and silence? The, the nightmare that resulted from the silence of the church, of the church's kind of you know fake uh, idea that, oh, we're going to be neutral. Like, really, you're going to be neutral? Well, then evil will win. Um, th that really happened. Uh, and because it happened then, I mean, the more you know about that period, the more you realize that could happen here. It is happening here. It's not some strange outlier in history that like, oh, we never we never go there because it's just so crazy. It's Hitler. You know, that doesn't apply. Of course, it applies. Human beings are human beings. They were fooled then for various uh, reasons that are similar, various reasons that are different. But, uh, you know, people are people. And we're guilty in America, in the American church today of dramatically similar uh, things that the German church was guilty of then. That, that's what astounds me is the similarities are, they're, they're amazing. So I, I put that in the book, Letter to the American Church, and in the film, Letter to the American Church, uh, you know, you'll see that and, and more. It's so interesting. So it's, it's uh, in, in your perspective, and what you're seeing is that the church is kind of asleep, maybe, and stuff. Yeah. And that, listen, that's the devil's goal. That was Hitler's goal. Just get the church sleeping a few more minutes, uh, just a little longer, just sleep a little longer while we gain control. Because eventually we don't care if you wake up, it'll be too late. That's what happened in Germany. The church, when the, when many in the church finally woke up, it was game over. If, if they, if they hadn't woken up, uh, if, if, if they had woken up a couple of years earlier, they might've been able to do something, but they were just kind of waiting to see how it went. They were not willing to take a stand. And I often think of Gulliver being tied down by the Lilliputians. You know, you, you picture he could crush them, but uh, he's sleeping. And they think if he just sleeps a few minutes longer, we're tying him down with this twine here, right? We're just tying him down. And if he wakes up, we're dead. But if he keeps sleeping a few more minutes, you eventually we'll tie him down enough so that when he wakes up, he can't move. That's Hitler. That was Hitler's goal with the German church. He succeeded. He kept kind of appeasing them, trying to get them to just think like, well, I'm not going to do anything. Don't worry. You know, I talk about God in these oblique ways. His intention was always to crush the church. They, the, the church is always the number one enemy of any authoritarian government. If you believe in big government, the church is your enemy because the church answers to a higher power and you don't want a higher power. If you're Adolf Hitler or if you're the, the head of the Chinese Communist Party uh, or you're uh, Kim Jong-un, you, you don't want anyone to dare uh, challenge you. And so you're going to crush the church when you get the opportunity. The Nazis um, worked toward that end and they were kind of quiet about how they did it. And then once they had the power, you know, the churches were silenced. That is effectively what's happening uh, in the United States today. It's extraordinary. And so the reason we we turned Letter to the American Church into a film uh, is so that anybody can see it. So if you go to letter to the American Church dot com, uh, it's all there. Basically, uh, you know, you can and, and actually we're offering it to churches for free. If a church wants to have a screening, uh, any church can have a free screening, like no strings attached. It's just free because we want churches to get the message. Now, my question to you on, you know, this this uh, monumental thing is what do you see in the documentary that what churches are asleep right now? Are you calling out specific dominate nations or are you seeing in specific areas? What's no, happening? I mean, to my mind, uh, there are, um, uh, uh, you know, I'm not talking about like, I guess, let's put it this way in Germany in the 30s, right? There were about 18,000 Lutheran churches. We're just talking Lutheran churches in Germany, right? 
of the 18,000 Lutheran churches, 3,000 of those pastors were heroic, were willing to stand boldly against Hitler at gigantic cost to themselves because they believed in what was right and they were believed in risking their lives or whatever it was. They were willing to be bold, 3,000. On the other end of the spectrum, you have 3,000 who are totally pro-Hitler. Um, so that to me would be kind of like, you know, the woke loonies today who they, they have some kind of church, but they've given themselves over to completely unchristian doctrines, or they're just they're just kind of crazy. They're with you know uh, a woke agenda, a pro-government agenda, whatever it is. You know, forget about those. The people in the middle, a lot of good people. Twelve thousand pastors in Germany were effectively saying, "We're not going to choose. We're just going to stay in the middle." And it doesn't matter what denomination we're talking about. There are a lot of churches like that in America that have this wrong theological idea that we get a pass, we're just going to stay neutral. We don't get involved in this. We don't do politics. And I think that's not a biblical idea. When evil rises, uh, sometimes politics is the way to defeat it. In America, where we have freedom and we have the rule of law and we can vote, it's not first century Rome where you know the early disciples, they didn't have any political power, but we have that in America. And so the idea that we would not use politics, use anything, when, when evil rises, we have an obligation, but some, many churches have this view that, no, 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 we don't, we don't do politics. And I think, okay, what if slavery is on the ballot? What if it's 1850, 1860? Are you going to say, well, we're a church. We don't, we don't do politics. That's a moral issue. You're not going to take a stand on that issue. Of course, we know today, of course, if you're serious about your faith, you take a stand against slavery. That's a monstrosity. It's an evil against your fellow human beings. You take a stand against that because you're a Christian. Well, at the time, there were a lot of people saying, no, we don't want to we don't want to take a stand. We now know that's a moral issue. Of course, the principal thing to do is for churches to take a stand. And and it was Christians who led the abolitionist movement. I'm not making that up. It was Bible thumping Christians who led the abolitionist movement in America. They led the, uh, the abolitionist movement in Great Britain under William Wilberforce. I wrote a biography about him called Amazing Grace. He was a politician. He didn't say, oh, I got to get out of politics because I'm a Christian. His Christianity informed him in his politics. And he said, we need to stand against the slave trade in Great Britain, in England. And some people saw the film Amazing Grace. My book has the same title, Amazing Grace. But it was because of his faith that he was engaged in politics and said, we need to defeat this horrible, immoral thing in the center of our, of our life. And so when moral issues arise, it is the job of Christians to step up. And those churches or Christians that think like, well, we, we don't do politics, that's, that's not biblical. It's just wrong thinking. And we've kind of taken that in. We kind of drank that Kool-Aid like we're not supposed to be involved. And, you know, you wouldn't say that the civil rights movement came out of the churches. We don't say like, oh, why, why were these Christians getting involved? And, you know, they, because they said this is an issue of morality and it became political. It was enshrined into legislation. And we don't say, well, the civil rights movement, they were out of line. These are moral issues. And it's the job of Christians in particular to get involved and a uh, letter to the American church is written to try to persuade people to understand that this is biblical. This is not just some point of view. Uh, and that when you get it wrong, history is going to judge you. And we're, we're living in a time right now where, um, you know, I want people who don't agree with this, at least be willing to, to, to take in these arguments to see maybe you're missing something. Because if you go to a church that's turning a blind eye to everything that's happening in our country right now, I just want to say maybe you want to find another church because uh, this is this is serious. You know, what, what's so interesting to me, too, Eric, is that uh, 
people say that they want to be separated or there's a lot of people that I think are very hungry that want to know more about God that have been removed from it for whatever reason they going to college going to Yale and um, being indoctrinated a different way like like you were and oh, yeah. other people have been right in other universities and but there there seems to be this hunger so much so that when we we've got an election coming up soon for president they will say whoever's running will tell us that they go to church, right? They'll, they'll oh, yeah. say I mean, if you Christian. believe Joe Biden is a Catholic, I mean, my my serious Catholic friends are like, are you kidding me? He is like totally pro-abortion. He's to, like all the stuff that he that he puts into legislation. You know, you just say, well, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, what's going on here? But I mean, look, I actually believe that all the terrible things that are happening. Your average person who's not a Christian, who doesn't go to church, is looking around thinking, what is happening? And I think that when they see churches taking a stand, they're attracted to that kind of faith. It's not just airy-fairy, we're talking about God stuff. We're living it out. That's that's moving to most people. You're trying to raise your kids. You're trying to live in this crazy world. When you see people leading on that, that kind of faith is attractive. And so ironically, I think if you're if all if your only concern is evangelism, if you live your faith out in this way, you're going to draw people to your church. And, you know, I've written I wrote a book called Is Atheism Dead, uh, which came out um, a couple of years ago where I just feel like there's more and more evidence for God. Uh, I put this in some of my books, but is atheism dead is probably the best example. I think people are hungry for the truth and they don't, you know, they don't have a dog in the fight. They're like, I just want to know what's true. Is, is, is there any evidence for God? Is God against, uh, you know, being rational in science or, or, or does science point to God? Like, which is it? What's the story? I really think that people are asking these questions with the craziness going around us. People are more open to knowing what's going on. What are the answers? So at the end of the day, I'm excited. I think this is an opportunity um, in a way that the crisis has created opportunity. Right. Now, Eric, let's talk spirituality because that's added to the churches in a lot of ways. The new format, a lot of people are going spiritual, that they believe that there's a, a divine creator, but they don't say it's God. You know, there's the universe, different things like that. What Do you address any of that in as well? With I, how they're looking to treat you? Yeah. In, in most of my books, uh, one way or the other, I'm addressing that. The, the book Is Atheism Dead uh, addresses that. I think, um, I just think that people want to be logical, right? In other words, you just have to try to, you've got to think it through. Some people first, their first question is, is there a God? You know, that's the first question. Is, is, there, is there some kind of God? And science dramatically points in that direction now in a way that 50 years ago was just the opposite. But um, in my book, Is Atheism Dead, I talk about that. And it's, it's pretty astonishing. And then once you realize, okay, I think there's a God, then the question is, okay, what about God? Like, what, is God a person? Does God want to communicate with me? Is God just an energy force or what? You know, and, and I think that people have series of questions. I do a thing called Socrates in the City, where I have these kind of like PBS type Dick Cavett conversations. And uh, if people go there, they'll find a lot of stuff along these lines. It's just Socrates in the city.com or you can it's on youtube socrates in the city but i think again people are asking these questions and, and that's really healthy to me that they're starting just starting to think about this kind of stuff and you know it's it's good to feel the freedom to pursue the truth to ask questions without being afraid of where it's going to take me just like ask the questions and enjoy the ride because 
you know, uh, we, we, uh, we live once and uh, we kind of want to know, what am I doing here? Does life have meaning? What's the meaning of life? What's the meaning of my life? Everybody's asking those questions. And I think that's good. And it's something that I've wanted to encourage in my career. And that's why I've done a lot of what I've done. Yeah, all good stuff. I Yes, Atheism is Dead is a great book. If anybody hasn't read it, they should read it. It was so powerful. It's so good. So well-written, Eric. And you make so many great points and that I that I really appreciate. And I love it that uh, science and God are um, can be one, that, that God actually created science rather than being. It's, that's the most amazing forces, thing. When I wrote right? the book is Atheism Dead and I and I realized that Christians uh, gave us the world of science. Like we've been fed this idea that science is at odds with faith. It's like, it's, it's literally the opposite. It was Christian faith that eventually, eventually gave us what we call the world, the modern world of science. And we've forgotten that we've kind of bought this new narrative and stuff. So the more you learn, the more, the more fascinating it is on some level. So I'm, I'm glad you're familiar with, with that book. We're going to turn is atheism dead is something I want to turn into a streaming TV series, because I just think that it's so fascinating. And most people, including most Christians, they've not heard a lot of this stuff. And so I'm kind of a, you know, I write on a popular level. I want to communicate this to everybody. Wow. All right. Kim has her final question. It's a love question. Go ahead, Kim. Yeah. So God is love. And uh, I spent a year, I dedicated a year to figuring out the true meaning of love. I lost my husband and was kind of questioning life and love and, and what it really meant. Sorry about your father, by the way. Um, I know how hard that must be because it was for me. And I know for Neil too, losing your dad is a tough thing. But I lost my husband, didn't know what I was going to do, but I went and I decided I was going to figure out the true meaning of love because there seems to be such mystery around it, right? And so I did. I had this eat, pray, love, year-long experience in Haiti, and it was crazy. And I'm just wondering, Eric, as you're talking and talking about coming against and, and all of those things, love is a huge part of it all, right? And so how do you see love in this? Well, listen, love is at the center of it all. I mean, that's what it's all about. Then the question, of course, is what does that mean? What is love? Love is not just a feeling. Sometimes love is an action, right? Love, I mean, the Bible gives us the ultimate picture of love when you think that God sent his son to die for us, for strangers, for people that are hostile to him. Just that idea of, of a God who exhibits love by, by, by dying for us, it's, it's just a mind-blowing thing. A lot of people around the world, they think that doesn't make any sense. I think God would be this all-powerful, you know, it's it's so beautiful. I mean, there's, it's undeniable, the concept of love, self-sacrificial love, real love, not just feelings, but I'm going to sacrifice myself for someone else. That's love, that we would do that for our children, for our spouses, for our parents. We, you know, self-sacrifice, the, the, the Greek word, since I'm Greek, uh, the, the Greek word, the New Testament love idea is agape love. That's divine love. Agape love is self-sacrificial love. It's again, it's not a feeling, it's action. And so when I think about this stuff, I think the Bible commands us to love our neighbor. What does that mean? It means I've got to take action, self-sacrificial action. And so Letter to the American Church is about that concept, is that if you're a Christian, you're supposed to be involved in every way for other people. You know, get involved politically, not for yourself. Maybe you'll be fine no matter what. 
But what about people who, who don't have a lot of money or a lot of power, and they're having to deal with uh, corruption in government, they're having to deal with uh, laws that are unjust, they're having to deal with all kinds of problems. We're supposed to be involved for their sake, uh, you know, to enact just laws, uh, to, to know that our government is not corrupt, that we can trust it, whatever. We've got to get involved in that for their sake, and because we're supposed to love our neighbors. God commands us. It's not extra credit. We're supposed to love our neighbors, supposed to get involved. So you put your faith into action. When you put your faith into action, then you know you have faith. And that, that's really what love is. Again, it's not just a, an idea or a feeling. It's, it's living out what I claim, you know, that I want to do this for other people because God loves me. So he's given me the ability to love others. I'm not going to lose anything because God loves me more than I can, you know, take it in. So I've got a lot to give. So um, yeah, it's at the centers of, of everything. And the Bible says God is love. It's like, you know, you can spend the rest of your life and eternity unpacking that idea, but it's true. Mm -hmm. All right, Eric, where can people check out the movie? Uh, it's a week from now, right? You said it's Let, available. Yes, it's right. coming. It's coming out. It's going to be at epictv.com, uh, uh, but people can just go to letter to the American church. That's the name of the book and the, and the, the name of the film letter to the American church.com. If you go to letter to the American church.com, you could sign up. Your church can get a free screening, totally free screening of the film, Letter to the American Church. Um, and people can find me. My name is just Eric Metaxas. If they go to ericmetaxas.com, uh, there's all kinds of uh, information there. I mentioned Socrates in the city, same thing. So I'm, I'm hard to miss if you're looking. Oh, I, you're all over Google. Trust me. Appreciate it, Kim. Uh, guys, appreciate it. All right. That was a special simulcast of the Neil Haley Show and the Love is Podcast, guys. Take care.